The Mud Peddlers, a podcast where two nerdy ceramic artists share the behind the scenes of their worlds of clay. We're your hosts, Lindsay M. Dillon. And I am Dante of Earth Nation. Today, we have a very special guest, and Dante and I are both extremely excited about this because more nerdy ceramic artists, like what, what is better than that? We have Ave Rivera. Ave, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So like, firstly, who are you? You're Ave Rivera, right? But who are you as far as the art world's concerned? Like, what do you primarily dabble in? Well, I went to school for ceramics. I graduated with like, you know, sculptural ceramics being like my main thing. And I was making a lot of like animals in precarious cartoony positions. <laughs> then when I went to figure out like, hey, do I want to do grad school? I ended up just doing a post back. And then that's when I switched to functional work because I was like, I think pots are easier to sell because I've always wanted to just be like, you know, self-employed artist person. So just did a lot of markets after school and now I sell online all fully. <laughs> That's the move. That awesome. That's, That's really awesome. the move right now. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the corona going around. Like that really is the move. Anybody <laughs> who was doing tables who wasn't ready for online or ready to move there was just like. Yeah, I'm like really oh, thankful I had it already somewhat set up. It just like wasn't the main priority. Like I was doing all of the art fairs and like art festivals, you know, that's doing like a show a weekend. And that was enough to like make up a bulk of my bills, but not enough to like go full time quite yet. What was that transition like? Because I know one of the things I'm always curious about folks who do, you know, ceramics or art full time is how did you build up to the point where you felt confident enough to go full time? Because you've been full time since 2019, if I remember saying from your website, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what was that? What was that? like? <laughs> it wasn't by choice. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Um, Oh, do, story time. Do tell. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was a part-time art teacher, art on a cart. I was teaching pre-K through fourth grade at a New Haven public school. And then come the end of the school year, they laid off all of the teachers, all the part-time staff. So anyone who's part-time, they just laid off everyone. So I was like, okay, well, I was kind of close to wanting to take the jump anyways. So then I found a very, very super part-time gig at a craft studio where people, it's Oops. like a make, make and paint type of thing where they can like come make a dream catcher or I don't know, make this succulent planter thing, all sorts of different yeah. types of crafts. But I was only doing that like 10 hours a week. And then I kind of like ramped up my online sales and more markets. At some point you gotta be like, all right, well, this is clearly all you're buying. So I'm gonna keep making those. And it was the D&D mugs. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was gonna say. Mugs are the t-shirts of the, of the clay world. Yeah. You only have so many pants. You have a billion t-shirts though. So many shirts. And D&D &D in particular, like I, D&D &D when I first started selling online or selling in general was only kind of a smaller part of what I did. I mostly did like anime stuff, but it's been crazy how much D&D &D has taken off in the last few years. And so it's like a little, the, the little marketer inside of me is like, yay. Becoming way more <laughs> acceptable to be just like in the nerd area. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I yeah. was in school, they were like a nerd. And now they're like, well, if you're not a, if you don't play D&D, &D, you're kind of a loser. I mean, kinda. <laughs> Speaking of school, actually, and pardon me for like peppering you with all these questions, but I was literally like staying. I couldn't go to sleep last night because I was like, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I want to ask all the questions. But what was the process like going from uh, university experience to the post back to your professional world? Because my experience with school is that there was like zero focus on the business side of the arts. Was that kind of a similar experience for you? And if so, like, how did you how did you begin to build up the business skills that have allowed you to be full time now? My school 
school did have for the last class, like a thesis class where you learn about grant writing, you learn how to talk to galleries. They talk a little bit about the sales stuff, but none of it was ever really like how to sell as a solo person. It was very much like a fine art type of approach, but there was still some business sense taught that way. And my school also had, or I should say the ceramics department, we always had a sale right around the holidays as a department wide type of thing where we would set up a table and sell the pots from, you know, yeah. from the classes. So there was like sort of like a soft introduction, but I will still say that like <laughs> the market world and like Etsy and all of that stuff seems like totally different from academia. Like academia is its like own super exclusive bubble that's like what's going on. <laughs> I was like lucky enough to have some friends who were trying to do the craft and Etsy thing already. So it was more so learning outside of school than I did in school. It's interesting. It reminds me of one of the posts that you posted. I believe I believe it was last June, kind of as like Black Lives Matter was starting to like amp up a bit. And you talked about how you had professors who were like, why aren't you doing more work that's like, I think you called it like culturally appropriate or something like that. As though as a person of color, the only kind of art that you could make was like referencing your identity. So that, I think that's really cool that you were, you had the the braver to be like, no, like this is this is what I'm interested in yeah. making and I'm just gonna do it. I like that a lot actually. It's like Thanks. you should make this work. You tell me what I should make. I mean I think the work I was making was valid enough. Like and that's a thing okay. with a lot of people of color is like you are only invited to shows that are highlighting, let's say, Mexican art. So you're only allowed to go into those types of shows or like the work that you make that is about your identity is what's respected in that world. And then like if you make art like I was making mostly things about like anxiety or at the time, I think I had um, some cups that were a series of endangered species. So I was having like drawings of endangered species with a sort of joke and it was really fun and like kind of like awareness on endangered species. But then like <laughs> her comment came out of left field, like, why don't you make any work about your identity? And I'm like, we had this entire thesis like critique thing <laughs> And like, this question is your only question for me? Like, can we talk about the work I made? So it was just like, what? The art world wants you to like tokenize yourself in order to get recognized yeah. to a certain degree. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if telling the artist how to represent themselves regardless of their race is the move there. Teacher. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a weird experience. Yeah. Well, at least like when I was uh, when I was being taught by Yoshio, his role in my life was like, I'm going to give you the base tools to build whatever you want. And then at the point in which you have enough tools, you go out into the world and figure out how you want to represent yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's at least how I try. And whenever I give advice, tell people like I'm trying to give you the tools to do it. I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do with your artwork. That doesn't seem very cash money to me. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much. Okay, so I, I definitely watched your 2020 review and 2021 goals list. So now that we're almost halfway through the year, which is bananas, how, how has it been going for you so far? I think so far so good. It's kind of like, I feel like I'm treating myself like a dog with like a spray bottle. Like, no. <laughs> oh. Anytime I want to do something like, I want to just set the date and I want to announce it. And I'm like, I didn't even finish the first bisque load. Like, I can't do that. I, I will not allow myself that because that's where the burnout happens for me. Because I get too excited. I don't give myself enough time. And then it's just like, oh, now I'm up at 3 a.m. glazing. So. <laughs> Anime computer on in the background. Yeah. Glaze on the computer. 
then you wake up and you're like, why is the glaze on my computer? Yeah, all of my tech is, has this like film of powder. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a, a really good idea to do that because I tend to be like, oh, if I set a, a like a like a deadline for myself, then I'll be forced to meet it. Mm -hmm. But it's true that like it does like amp up that next level of anxiety. And then what ends up happening is that I get so nervous about not meeting that deadline that I will never even set that deadline. So yeah, then, but then it's too like- Too much stress. Too much stress, yeah. So it's just like- I mean, like I still set the deadlines. It's just now that like, I won't announce them <laughs> to the world. Cause yeah. then I can be like, yeah. I can push that. I could actually like, you know, sleep this weekend because people need time off and I'm a human, yeah. so. Right, and then you don't disappoint the people that are like, you said your work was gonna be out. Cause then you can just do your work and then go, oh, uploads next week. But realistically, like it's all behind you. You have it already. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Dante, you've been selling online for about a year now, right? Or was it, or did you start up right before COVID? I started like right in the, yeah, it's about a year, right in the middle of COVID. But I release my store updates like 50 items at a time every like month to month and a half. I don't load a lot of stuff because I have my own website and it takes a lot of time and I have a full-time job and I'm not, I'm just try, not trying to like do 100 items a month. It's not happening. So like 50, 50 at a time. It's too much stress for me to like hold down a full-time job and go to the gym and like give kisses in the morning and the night and cook the steak dinner and then, you know, and then clean the studio and then like I'm not doing it. I'm not, and then make my own glaze and then make a YouTube video and then... Uh, <laughs> yeah, then YouTube's its own time suck. But I like it. But it is a time suck. Gosh, how how has it been growing your uh, your YouTube? One of the things I remember you talking about in your uh, in your 2020 review video was that you you were wanting to expand your your income your various income streams, and that's why you started the YouTube and Patreon. So it, now that it's been a little more year like another year into it, uh, how how has it been going? Like, what are some of the things that you learned from the last year that you want to carry into this year concerning YouTube? Considering that it does seem like it would be such a time sink to like edit all the videos, and it's just it's a whole other thing. So. Yeah. So tell me about it. <laughs> so I loved YouTube as like teenager, early 20s. And so it's just like something that I've always loved to do, had a channel. I think like every teen had their own channel. Um, it never went anywhere. But uh, I was just like, yeah, that's something I'd like to get back into. And it's like a long shot for my channel to ever be monetized. But you know what, if it does, cool, great. Part of it is also just like less dependency on Instagram. And um, I'm noticing a, a conversion, as you will, from from YouTube to my Patreon. So it's it's it is um, worthwhile doing, even if I'm only getting like 100 views, maybe 500 views on a video. But the community that I have on YouTube, translating to my Patreon, um, it's been really fun and uh, fulfilling, and I really like it. And Patreon's been steadily growing, even though I, like I never did an official launch or anything, like I meant to. But someone just like found it, and I was just, how'd you find my secret? <laughs> so it just like forced me to start posting on Patreon. So I'm thankful for that. <laughs> how do you, how do you decide like what to post on Patreon and then what to post on your like regular feed? Because I think like, I mean, I haven't started a Patreon yet. That's one of the things I'm always worried about is like, how do I maintain the quality of what I'm already posting, but not burn myself out by like posting too much additionally on my, on my Patreon. So how right. do I, how And do you I... don't want to post the same content on Patreon as you do on Instagram. Cause then they're like, why am I not getting exclusive content? Yeah. yeah. Why am I not getting nudes? Well, I share a lot more like 
new ideas over on Patreon than I do on anywhere else, really, because they get to see my sketchbook. I don't share my sketchbook anywhere. Uh, they get to see my bullet journal. I don't really share my bullet journal, so they get to see, like, where my brain is and stuff, you know? And anytime I have, like, a new idea or a new theme that I want to do, then, like, they will get to see the, like, the thought process more clearly and directly than anywhere else will. Oh, that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. Do you notice the conversion to Patreon more from YouTube than from Instagram? Uh, I know, like, the people who are more, I'll say, like, particip participatory? Is that a word? I think it's a word. <laughs> the people who participate on my posts more <laughs> are uh, more so from uh, YouTube, I will say. Um, and then, like, I do have early access as a as a perk for my patrons, which I think is where, like, a lot of people are coming from, which is fine. They don't really, like, comment or heart any posts, which is fine. That's fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I can kind of tell, like, who came from where based on their behaviors and stuff, which is kind of creepy, but... I don't know. <laughs> it's the it's no, the state of the world. It's around. only internet stalking if you're looking for them. You notice if they're looking directly, then they're internet stalking. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Ave, I'm terribly curious. What's the next convention you're planning on going to after COVID? Like, what Say convention anime. are you looking forward to the most? Say anime, so we can go together. <laughs> I have a friend who kind of like works for the convention industry, so he gets me tickets that I don't have to like you know, freak out about buying because they always sell out. But Anime NYC, I am so stoked for if that happens. I think it's going to happen. And of course, you know, New York Comic Con, as crowded and as predictable as it is, I still love it. But Anime NYC is like, it wins my heart. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. the same way with Fanime. We try and go every year, but last year, and the year before, I think, or this year, I guess, got canceled. Yeah, they all got canceled. But Enseca yeah. is happening in Sacramento for 2020. Oh, I am absolutely planning on going. Yay! Oh my gosh, It'll be I so dope. Go. I've never been to California, even though everyone's like, wow, Ave, your work is so California, so West Coast. And I'm like, I've never been. <laughs> <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? People are judging Ave work at California? I don't know, You pick up but one of her whatever. pieces and it's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> Gotta put it down. Maybe. <laughs> Our convention center is being rebuilt, um, and we have like a new stadium. The book. oh yeah, the um, we got a new arena down the Golden One, the Golden One Arena. That yeah. one. You walk mm -hmm. there and you're like, this is really fancy, and I hope it's there because like yeah. that would be tight. But it is gonna be at the convention center that we usually hold sack anime at. Oh, uh, that's gonna be so weird to be like, I know this as an anime hall, and now it's going to be like the Insika stuff with all these muddy people. So much less colorful. <laughs> people of the mud. I love them. Um, but the fashion sense of people of the mud is very earth tone. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah. Well, we're, I mean, yeah. we're not we, color people. Isn't there a uh, an anime like a mud like a. a a pottery anime because like we yeah! can have a cosplay i mean just saying it's an option oh my god we can i never i never knew that there was a pottery anime it's all so it's on crunchyroll and it's called let's make a mug two not the number two but like also two okay i'm gonna find it everyone's been blowing me up about it on <laughs> instagram because mm -hmm. I complained about it once, like, four years ago. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was like, Japan, you have a swimming anime. You have a baseball anime. You have an ice skating anime. Uh, that belongs to Canada, first of all. I don't know why you have it. Why don't you have a pottery anime? So deeply rooted in your culture. You be a pottery anime. You make whatever anime you want, but I really want a pottery one just for me. Yeah. Yeah. 
gosh. Have you have you thought about submitting a proposal to present Ave at uh, Nsika? Nah. <laughs> I've thought about like applying to be like have some stuff in a show, but beyond that, I just want to go and I just want to vibe. I want to wander and see cool things. Like that's all I want to do when I go. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can appreciate that. Yeah. Dante and I have talked about doing something together, but like actually thinking about you know doing it is a whole other yeah because then you have to like write something fancy and propose it and then like i don't know the whole process seems intimidating <laughs> yeah yeah it does the it does. artist statement yeah we, we, we literally had a, a conversation we, we've been trying to make an episode about artist statements for the last like two weeks and we it ha- we haven't quite found like the right vibe that we're going for but yeah we gotta, we gotta ask her now. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you feel about artist statements? And because like I I I was looking at your website when I was trying to redo my website and figure out like okay like how do I want to talk about myself? And uh, so how do you, like how do you like feel about artist statements? Both you know describing your yourself in general like on your about me page and just like your 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 work in general. Uh, like once again, this is where the market world. And like everyone else outside of academia, it feels so different because like how you talk about your work as someone who's trying to sell it or like an about me is much more personable and like you just want to connect with the person who might, you know, collect your work. So, you know, you want to be more personable, et cetera, et cetera. And you can be, I feel like it's a little bit more freeing. You can be a little bit more honest, et cetera. But in like academia with an artist statement like sometimes people are like you can't use the word i and me and i'm like but it's about my work <laughs> what? Yeah. What, what do you but, use um, what words do you use yeah you have to speak in the third person yeah and then what no when i do that i get made fun of <laughs> <laughs> i do it on playstation all the time with with the guys and they make fun of me uh, uh, it's just like so much more formal and i don't know i feel like trying to straddle both worlds is where it gets really hard to like, you know, just figure out how do you communicate this stuff to people on a website. But uh, when it's like a separate artist statement for like a show or something, that's a lot easier, I think, versus like an artist statement for like your entire body of work. Cause it's so much easier to talk about like this one series versus really like, this is why I make art. Like, I can't answer that question. (laughs) Yeah. It's diff- It's so many different. It's like asking like the human condition question. Yeah. Like, what is your human condition? Like personally, and you're like, I just make the things. Yeah. I physically represent what I feel sometimes. Yeah. Buy it. <laughs> like it. Touch it. I don't know. Give me shiny things for it. Go away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are there are there other areas where you feel like your work kind of straddles those like two different worlds of like the capital A art world and like the quote unquote craft world? Not so much anymore, because I've like fully dove into, I've sold my soul, I'm a sellout, whatever. Um, <laughs> we just had that conversation before the camera We just started talking about that too, yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't really thought about doing any sort of like galleries or shows until recently after being invited to be on a panel for an Nsika thing. So I was just like, oh yeah, I've, I kind of like, you know, left this world for a little bit and now I'm like easing my way back like maybe I should enter a cup show but then that like that you know academia language has to come back into play in terms of how do I talk about myself properly and not like I'm on Instagram there's also a whole different vibe in between crafters or artists and like usually people who frequent or go see artists and crafters Mm -hmm. like when I go to an art show whether it's like middle or upper class I just don't really vibe with like upper class wine drinking cheese eating I'm just not into that. Like, I come in, like, in a dirty apron and my shoes have silicone on them. And I'm like, I make the pretty things. Yeah. And you like them, right? But it's hard to connect with that culture of people. Yeah. Because they're usually, like, 
I don't want to say judgmental, but they're they freely mm-hmm. give their opinion about work they cannot themselves create. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Usually. Yeah. Or well, usually don't create. Not they can't. Just yeah. A lot of the times they don't. I mean, I think it's good to have to like feel free enough to have opinions about art because I feel like sometimes people people who like aren't into like art stuff can feel intimidated by that world because of the language that's used within that context. They should. So it's. Wait, should what? Yeah, F them. Oh my god! <laughs> well, but like, but, okay, the, the culture within it, yes, has, I, like, the, how do I say it? That is a frustrating thing to, like, feel like it's this in, this exclusive club that's... It feels a little elitist. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank yeah. you, thank you. That's that's the, that's the best way to Gatekeep describe it. Gatekeep high culture. Yeah. Crafting. Yeah. Okay, I feel like part of me still kind of clings to that world to some degree because I feel like the sculpture pieces that I make fit with that world a little bit better, but they also don't. And so part of me is like, I want to try and like, could you imagine like getting a group of like nerdy ceramic artists together on Instagram and then actually having like a group show together at, at like a, at a gallery, you know, like how cool would that be to be like, Hey, would love. here's this world that normally doesn't. Yeah. Right. Like, Sign me up. <laughs> oh. But that's why I've been looking at um, things like designer toys and the sort of like the lowbrow art market because I feel like I would be more comfortable in that world because like my art kind of fits in the designer toy realm of things because that's kind of like what I was making. I was making sculptures about this big. I just got to make them smaller and then hey there you go. Um, <laughs> art toys type of stuff and it's just that world felt more approachable. So that's something that I still keep tabs on because I do want to get back into doing more sculpture work now that I have the like financial room to sort of experiment sculpturally and not have to think like, oh no, how am I going to sell it? What do I even price it at? You know what I mean? Oh, that's that's really cool that you're thinking about like getting, getting back into that. Yeah, that was another reason I started the Patreon. I was just like, I'll take you through the process of me making a sculpture. The more patrons I have, the more room I can like actually spend the brain space to do this because I don't have to be like, mugs, they sell. <laughs> right, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple people who was that like, why don't you make more bowls and yarn bowls? I saw you make one before and I'm like, all oh, you guys buy are mugs. Yeah. <laughs> I would make more bowls and yarn bowls if you bought them more and I would sell them more, but all you buy are mugs. Yeah. So I have to make mugs in order to live. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you did this. <laughs> Where do, where do you feel like you picked up your business skills the most along the way? Like in, in addition to just going through the process yourself, like was there any book, any, you know, other like YouTuber, any other like artists where you feel like you learned like the business side of those things of in terms of like mugs, they sell. So I'm going to make more mugs, like that right. kind of thing. There was a book about a craft fair that I had. I don't know. It was so long ago that I've had this book, um, but it did like lay out how to sell on Etsy. It was very Etsy specific and it looked very much... It felt like a time period piece, now that if I look back at the cover of this book, but it was like, you know the magazine Bust? Bust magazine? It was like a feminist magazine thing, but it was definitely like a certain like vibe and culture about it, Etsy crafting or whatever. But there was that book that sort of like set things off for me wanting to start my own business, but that was like while I was still in college. So that was probably like around, I want to say maybe 2012, 2014. And then after I got out of school, I was invited into a collective called the Nutmeg Collective, which is a bunch of CT-based makers and artisans who make 
all sorts of different arts and crafts to sell to the world. And that group was like super, super helpful in learning like how to set up tax stuff, what markets are worth our time and aren't, you know, church basements. And it was just like a great group to have the feedback in. And it was nice that it was state specific because then I could meet up with these people in, in real life. But the bulk of my knowledge probably just came from podcasts. I listen to a ton of podcasts and I've made a list on my website like a long time ago. And honestly, it still holds up like going through those archives of business advice. It's just like, is it, is it on your blog? Cause I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to creep on. <laughs> it was okay, probably so like a while your, so... ago, but the, I was like a top okay. 10 podcasts or something. Okay. We just did Are a there... thing with wheel talk and I went back and listened to some of their older episodes on like shipping and taxes and whatnot. Yeah. And you're right. Like, podcasts really do be telling you stuff that like the regular world just won't like school art classes they just won't tell you and it's in a medium that you can like consume while you're doing something or at least i can for the most part because it's just like i'm in the studio for like what eight hours a day i can listen to eight hours of someone teaching me stuff like hell yeah are there any that you can think of off the top of your off the top of your head, just so we can? Lindsay's I mean, into mode right now. I'm, I'm, in, I'm just like, yeah, tell me. That. I mean, I'm gonna link. Things. I'm gonna link stuff in the show notes, but yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so my favorites, my favorites that are still like that are still putting out content are the business of making. It's three Australian women. Well, most of them are based in Australia. They sell different types of crafts. Really, really cool. Um, so again, that's called the business of making and then create and thrive is another one that I really, really love. That's Jess Van Den. She's amazing. And, uh, one other one that I really like is, uh, being boss, which is more like a service based um, creative entrepreneurship. But, uh, a lot of that information is still transferable to selling products, but it does, it did set me in a mindset to think bigger than just like, I don't know small potatoes it that's kind of like what sparked the um how many streams of income can i set up for myself so that i can live a comfortable life that's something that really resonated with me when you were talking about that because i feel like i'm kind of just reaching that point myself like i think the last couple years i've really been trying to figure out like okay how much can i do you know what does this feel like to go to you know conventions to sell online more consistently and also try and like work on sculpture and i'm realizing like this kind of works for where i am now but not for like where i want to be in the future so yeah there's only but so many mugs you can make in a year <laughs> so like what are things that you can add to your business that can you know expand easier than you know stressing out your body because you, you need your body as as a potter so yeah. yeah. Why does my back hurt all the time? 80 percent of our life. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, like TikTok. <laughs> my back shaking, my osteotic. <laughs> Gotta learn how to throw standing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. They do say that helps. Yeah. That helps. And then I have to build a whole. No, I can't. I'm too used to it now. I've been trained to sit down while I do it and crook my back. So like, <laughs> if I stood up, I'd hate it. Yeah. Has a. Uh... Has, like, YouTube and, well, I guess it's, like you were saying, it sounds more like Patreon has kind of been more of the, like, extra income stream, but what are what are some of the other streams you're, of income you're looking at uh, exploring? So I've added uh, prints and stickers, and I'll probably start adding more stationery, like washi tape and notepads and things like that. So all of the things where, like, my illustrations, because my mugs for a while, they were very illustration based. I was like, yeah, it fits in my world. Um, <laughs> adding those things to my business means that I'm not physically making them, uh, which means I can sell more of them 
easier. Like there's no limit to the amount of stickers I can sell because I'm not, you know, drawing and cutting them out all at once, you know? And then recently I added t-shirts and sweatshirts through a service called Printful, which is like a print on demand, but it's a little bit better quality and stuff. Um, so they can still shop within my website, but again, I'm not the one that's physically packing and shipping them or pressing out these t-shirts. You just make the design. Yeah. But that's definitely something that I definitely want to add more designs because when one of those sells, it's, it's, kind of exciting. Like, oh my gosh, someone really liked it. And it's a t-shirt. They're going to be wearing it. <laughs> like I've gotten, I, I guess I've gotten used to like people drinking out of my mugs, but someone wearing a t-shirt I made, like what? <laughs> yeah, that's so yeah, cool. So, so you use Printful and then you still are using for like the stickers and, and prints. Are you mostly using Redbubble for that? Nah. So I have my Redbubble set up, but the stickers I order from Sticker App, which is a website and I, you know, ship them from here from I'm like that thing is all full of stickers and small stuff and the prints are behind me those I order from cat print I tried a few different printers and every now and then I'll switch it up just based on if I'm happy with the quality because I don't know sometimes I get real picky and I'm like this ain't it I'm gonna change <laughs> yeah the quality matters a lot to crafters like us yeah you can't just some companies are like just push it out as much as you can but I feel like crafters in specific are like no there's a way yeah. This is like that I want to be represented as far as my quality goes. Yeah. And then like if I get big enough or if there's a t-shirt or sweatshirt design that like is that I can financially and have the space for, you know, to hold, then I would bring that in-house. Uh, but I don't know where I would put shirts and, and apparel because there's sizes. But that's definitely something that in the future I'd like to bring in-house so that I can control the shipping and stuff. We gotta stop talking about this because they're gonna bug us for merch next. Oh my god. Well, I mean, I think that's a, that'd be a good thing, but it's nice to hear how you approach it because... Hey man, add the streams of income, can't hurt. I mean, you're like a, a ceramic meme king, so like, you could totally make some meme-worthy shirts? Come on. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's neat to know though, that like you, you like kind of bringing a fair amount of things like in-house cause that's something that is, you know, challenging things like, okay, like is the time and effort you spend doing the packing and shipping worth the money that you're getting in from those products? Or is it better to like use other outside services, which do all the packing and shipping, but then you don't have as much control over like the quality or the, you know, other things like that. So that's, it's interesting to hear how you've approached that. I will say that like with Redbubble, I still have stuff out in there and it has its own like marketplace and whatever, but the quality difference between Redbubble and Printful, I found Printful to be better. The thing is with a site like Printful, it's that you have to add that to your own site whether it be your own Etsy store or your own website, like I have Shopify, there's no separate marketplace like Redbubble has a marketplace or Society6 has a marketplace. So yeah, it's a little bit different, but... I so appreciate you sharing all of these things because I have been <laughs> dying to pick your brain about all these things. I love things talking about this stuff. I'm like, most people would probably find this really boring. Oh my God, no, it's <laughs> really not because... <laughs> I think it's it's so like... It's so interesting because again, like all this stuff is are, are things yeah. that you know are not a part of our education traditionally, and you know, like when people ask questions like, "Oh, like how do you how do you run a small business as a creative person?" You can say things like, "Oh yeah, I like set up an online store," but then there's so many micro levels of yeah. questions yeah. within each topic. Devil's that, in the details. Yeah, for sure. And then like yeah. looking back at when I first had an Etsy and the type of work I was making, it was mostly like 
cups with faces on it and like blobs and like you know squiggles and designs but how do you explain that in seo who's how how can someone search yeah, no. that mug you know what i mean so like it what i think what made my dnd mugs take off the way they did was because it was searchable on the internet you know what i mean <laughs> like it had an seo that like can follow it you know there also weren't very many but also like when you type in D&D mug, it's easy. So if you have an item that you're making, you kind of have to think in this digital world, what are the SEO words that can, how will someone search this mug in words without seeing it to find it? The trick that I was always taught was to pretend like I'm looking up my own product mm -hmm. and what are like the base words that I will look them up. Yeah. So like whenever mm -hmm. I put tags or SEO, I type in like pottery, beginner, ceramic, mm -hmm. art, clay. Like mugs. no one knows I call these things blobs. <laughs> right. Like, of course, I'm like, no, it's ceramic, handmade, art, cone, six, electric, functional, food safe. Yeah, but yeah. Like, I don't put all those words in because people who are looking for that stuff are like they not don't know, like, to look who... for, you know, oxidization of porcelain, stoneware, mix, clay. Like, no one's using those words to find your mug. You gotta think, like, you know, beyond that. You gotta pretend like you don't know they're looking for exactly what it is. So you gotta play around it and find all the words that are the play around it words. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I type it into Google sometimes and then Google's like, did you mean this? I'm like, no, but I know the person who thinks they mean this means this, so I'm putting that in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have I have kind of a fun random question, Ave, if you don't mind, as maybe like a little bit of a wrap up question. Okay, well, I guess I have, I have two different things. Sure. First question is, is there anything that you we're hoping that you that we would ask you that we did not ask you and if so what is it so we can ask you <laughs> <laughs> um I guess it would be like more about bullet journaling because I saw that you also like to bullet journal no. and yes. you can't mention oh this I love no. bullet journaling yes. so much here's mine right here it's so pretty I love the sticker okay I put could you remind me the who the art is <laughs> oh my god I love those yeah. oh my god okay yes Abe please tell us more about your bullet Dante's journal so and I want it already <laughs> oh my god Dante it's fine go 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 get more pop tarts and uh I, we I have more pop tarts we don't have any more pop tarts I we, we ate all the pop tarts I, I ate most of the pop tarts anyway <laughs> <laughs> the messed up thing is whoever's watching this like regular fans of our stuff is like Dante probably ate them all it wasn't me like, this time nope it was me <laughs> anyway yes okay so tell us tell us more about your bullet journal practice okay well I've been bullet journaling since 2017 and honestly it's a lifesaver because I'm a space cadet. If I don't write it down it's probably not gonna happen and I need to organize my brain before things get done because if I don't organize it it's probably not gonna happen. I'll just float around especially as a self-employed person with no one to tell me what to do or like when I need to do it. I will literally float around this house like what should I do next? Oh yeah, I guess I can do that. That looks cool. I think I'm hungry. With phone in hand, just scrolling. <laughs> yeah. I like, I do that it's too. just, yeah. So writing it down has been so wonderful. And the structure of a bullet journal where it's super flexible and it can be whatever type of to-do list that I want it to be and however I want to make it is really fun. And then like the added bonus of aesthetics, I'm here for it. Oh, yes. Did you, did you always kind of have a more aesthetic approach to your bullet journal or did it start out more plain and then you developed it? Nah, like I would always like have like bubble letters for headers and stuff, but that's as like aesthetic as it got up until I would say like maybe two years ago when I was like trying to do, I don't know, make myself look at it more, I guess. 
<laughs> and as as I'm thinking of what I want to do, the doodles start to happen, and like it sort of evolved that way. And it's it's own it's its own like meditative practice. I think when I'm adding the stickers or drawing little doodles of Totoro or something. And oh my gosh, do you, is it ever like nerve wracking to? Um like share because I know on your, on your Patreon you share your the pages of the bullet journal is it ever like do you ever run into issues of like okay do I need to like cover up certain sections like in terms of the privacy aspect of your bullet journal I think because most of what I write in there is more business centric it doesn't really bother me like if someone sees like hey I have a doctor's appointment all they're gonna see is doctor uh, that's it no yeah. Yeah. like I never write like more details than that you know yeah I mean so far it's been fine I haven't really had to think too much one way or the other of personal stuff because I, I don't write too much personal stuff in there. What what advice would you give to someone who's maybe thinking about starting a bullet journal but feels kind of intimidated by it? Because I know oh my gosh, so yeah. many people who <laughs> are like... Attacked. What's that? I feel attacked. <laughs> not, not, that, not that you need to. Not that you don't. Okay, specifically I'm thinking of like, I have a few different friends who are like, who I've started talking about like the bullet journal too. Like yeah. I'm an evangelist practically. And, I feel the same um, way though, because I am. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, everyone should try it. Just try it. Right? I know it's true because it's so, it's so helpful. It's like, I just want to help you. Yeah. And, and then you don't have to no, feel anyway, bad about um, wasting planner pages because that was the bane of my yeah. existence. <laughs> Yeah, but there are so many people who are like, oh, like, I like the bullet journal, but like, I'm not really artistic, so I'm, I'm not really gonna, yeah. you know, use it, you know, or, or they just think like, oh, I can't draw. So like, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe thinking about starting a bullet journal, but, you know, isn't really sure like where to start or they feel like intimidated by the process? I would say approach it as a system to organize your brain. Nothing more, nothing less. Because if you look at the like the original website, uh, like the guy that made it up, that's all it is. It's just like, here's a future log, which is super great to zoom out and be like, hey, what is happening this year? And then, you know, you zoom in a little bit more. Hey, what's happening this month? And then you zoom in a little more. Hey, what's happening this week? And then just giving your brain those spaces so that things aren't constantly cycling in your head. It's like, I don't know, it's really cool <laughs> and helpful. Yeah. I add aesthetics, <laughs> add aesthetics later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want, they're unnecessary. Okay, last last question. Last question. Um, unless or unless God, I'm sorry, I'm no, completely I'm like dominating. No, you're Dante. Fine. What do you no, want to ask? You're completely, <laughs> I'm you're like, I was just here to hang out with Ave. Realistically, like, <laughs> I have no. You're go, okay. go for it. All right. It's so all you, half the time they want to hear you talking. Go. That's not true. They love you, Dante. <laughs> Ave, if there was an alternate reality version of yourself that was not a ceramic artist, what career, what profession would do you think you'd have? Ooh. And actually, and Dante, I'm going to ask you this too, because I'm curious, because I don't know if I've asked you this question before. I'd be, I'd be a bodybuilder. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, so I think I probably would have ended up something to do with like public health. And I say this because as a child and into my teen years, I had like some weird obsessions with like things like the bubonic plague, mummies, and like diseases at large. And there's this show called like Dr. G and she, you know, says this is how this person died. And, you know, all the details of that. And it's a little weird, but uh, yeah, public health probably. <laughs> and I, I was super into science, like up until high school, I thought I was just going to be a science teacher. That's really cool. I like that. I love I love hearing like I love hearing the answers to that questions for folks because it's sometimes it's really unexpected things like I never would have guessed public health so yeah. that's, that's really cool that's really cool so Don Dante you would be a, a bodybuilder porn star 
Porn star. Okay, yeah, sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a guy, so it would only last for like two years max. Okay, all right. We're very expendable in the porn industry. Oh. <laughs> very. <laughs> I think I would be a cake decorator. Ooh. My first job was at a bakery. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. So I did learn how to like write names really nice. That's about it. That's so cool. Those are super usable in ceramics. Like if you ever yeah. get one of those extruders, they're very, very, this sounds dumb. For anyone who's listening to this, it sounds dumb. Like get your slip, make sure it's thick enough and just put it on your pots like that with those cake decorator things. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Score bottles work too, but they get clogged a lot. Yeah. And then learning how to make the flowers, like there's a lot of technique into that and then it's really easy, but it's fun. Well, Ave, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a fun conversation. Oh, it's been great. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having this. me. This was really great. Alright, All right, bye. bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to The Mud Peddlers with Lindsay M. Dillon and Dante of Earth Nation. Want to say hi and see what Dante and I are working on in our studios? Check out the show notes for links to our websites and social media below. You can find me at lindsaymdillon.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-M as in monster, D-I-L-L-O-N.com and on Etsy, Instagram, and Facebook, at Lindsay M. Dillon. And you can find me at Earth Nation Ceramics. It's spelled exactly how you think it's spelled, but you can also find me on my Facebook fan page and Instagram at the same name at Earth Nation Ceramics. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, or you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss, take a second to rate and review The Mud Peddlers in Apple Podcasts. It helps our podcast reach new listeners, and we really appreciate the feedback. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.